I feel the need. The need for a podcast exploring the films and career of Tom Cruise. Oh, welcome to Cruise Views. Big, big, huge beam on the audio there. I should have just taken like a nice step back. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, hello, uh, this is the podcast all about hotshot lawyer Tom Cruise. We're on our journey to find out how Tom Cruise became the world's last movie star by exploring every single one of his films. You join us today in 1993 for The Firm. Uh, I'm Adam Scott Glasspool and I'm joined by somebody who is also firm, Tom Ashford. <laughs> What does that even mean? Am I hench or am I... I don't know. I, I am I sexually just, aroused? I don't I know what that's supposed to mean. I just wrote it down before we started recording. Jesus Christ. Did you hear me laugh just before I started yeah. recording? That's what I wrote down. Good. Oh, hi, Adam. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Cool. Get your letterbox yeah. out. What have you been watching? What, we, what's, well, what's been going on? We both went fairly recently to go and see mm. Everything Everywhere All at Once. We did go and see everything everywhere at once. Not together. No. Uh, I thought it was uh, fantastic. Yeah. I thought it was absolutely great. Uh, I really loved it. Um, it's interesting to me. Should we talk about Marvel again? Let's talk yeah. about Marvel again. It's really interesting to me that the Marvel movies that have come out recently have had analogues to go alongside them that aren't produced by uh, Marvel and just show Marvel how much better you can do those yeah. things. So No Way Home, the Spider-Man movie, was this huge legacy sequel um, based on films that came out 20 years before it. And then like a few weeks after it, The Matrix Resurrections came out and just showed how you do a legacy sequel. Um, yeah. And then everything all at once, uh, everything everywhere all at once comes out to show Doctor Strange 2 exactly how you do a multiverse of madness. Yeah. Because bear in mind that, I mean, I liked Doctor Strange 2 more than you did. I think you liked it more than most of people that we know did. Uh, no, I, actually, I, I think uh, of our friendship group, I think I was the second lowest. Well, no, friends of the podcast, uh, Steve, uh, Steve, he gave really it like, liked it. He gave, he it, gave it like, like four. four. Other friend of the podcast, Lucas Way, gave it two and a half. He gave it three and a half. He gave it two and a half. Look I think it up. He dropped. He You've dropped it hustled. down. You've been hustled, no, no. Tom. Well, I have. Tom, yeah. You've been hustled. He put three he did, and a half. He dropped it down. Yeah. And he dropped it down to two and a half. <laughs> he did on reflection in our discussion. Because yeah. we spoke to him. And yeah. He, he saw the error of his ways. <laughs> got hustled. Um, and then future friend of the podcast, uh, Pete Kirk, gave it one star. Yeah. Which I think yeah. might be objectively the correct rating to give it. But <laughs> no, I mean, I I enjoyed it, but. I did leave feeling like it was a massive wasted opportunity. I enjoyed yeah. it because it was a new installment in the MCU and I like the characters, I like the humour and the tone. So it, sure. like, it was entertaining, but it just dropped the ball completely on the opportunity mm. that it was leading up to. Like it didn't tell a good standalone story, but it also didn't actually like uh, do it like a stepping stone into some wider universe. It, did, it kind yeah. of just didn't manage to succeed in doing either which really frustrated me. And, and as the second I walked out of Everything Everywhere All at Once, I just turned to, to Jenny and just said, imagine if Doctor Strange had come out after that film. Like if the release yeah. dates were swapped. You'd, everyone who saw Everything Everywhere All at Once would just come out and be like, that was shit. Like what? it's such... No, as in, as in Doctor Strange 2. Oh, right, okay. Sorry, I'm yeah. with you. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Yeah, everything, you every, if you'd seen the Daniels <laughs> film, that you'd walk out yes. of Doctor Strange 2 afterwards and be like, 
that was it wasn't even a multiverse film. They just go to a couple yeah. of different worlds that look Do- that Doctor looks Strange doesn't have that emotional core that Everything Everywhere All at no. Once also has. And I, I cannot recommend Everything uh, Everywhere All at Once highly enough. Uh, another film I cannot recommend highly enough. I just watched it on Netflix because I missed it in the cinema. RRR. Yeah, Tom, you have to see that film. Um, yeah. It is a... It's an Indian film. I think it's a Tollywood film. Um, and it is over three hours long. Um Ostensibly, the R's stand for Rise, Roar, Revolt, but that's not actually what they stand for, Tom. It's because it still has its working title, um, and it was just called that because the two main stars and the director have uh, one of their names begins with an R. And it was just called that because all three people were working on it. Um, The director, the biggest director in India at the moment, the two stars, um, they said, the only reason we haven't been in a film together before is because no production could afford it. (laughs) And it's honestly just one of the most joyous things I've ever seen in my life. You have to to go and see that. I'll check Um, it out. And you know, before, before you go any further, Adam, did you say Bollywood or did you say Tommywood? And is that now the new name for Tom Cruise movies? I said Tollywood. Okay, because it, it very distinctly is not Bollywood. It is right. an Indian film, that, and loads of people go, "Oh, well, it must be Bollywood then." But it's not. It has to be made a little bit like Champagne. Has to be made in a specific region of India for it to right. count as a Bollywood film. It's a Tollywood film, which I think comes from either the region or the language that it's shot in. And uh, uh, you know, don't quote me because I'm not anywhere near an expert. If you're not feeling like a three-hour-long action romantic comedy musical dance drama um historical epic if you're not feeling that you could also do worse than watching chip and dale rescue rangers on disney plus because it's good wow. <laughs> it's good you should watch that i well i wasn't going to and then i saw your review on letterboxd yeah. i was like okay it's good it's good, it's good. i can justify good. this now yeah it's, it's a bit like who framed roger rabbit nice yeah yeah um we're, we're not here to talk about all these other bloody films, are we? We're not here to talk about new releases, except we did uh, last week, obviously. Um, we're here to talk about 1993's The Firm, starring Tom Cruise. Why don't you tell us a bit about that film, Tom? Okay, I will. Um, <laughs> so the director, Sidney Pollock. Well, first of all, it's 1993, so there you go. Coming out 1993. Give, give me fucking dates, please. I, I don't remember do, the date. I always forget to write down the date. I, want I don't dates. have the date. It's 1993, Adam. Give me, give me no, I know. I want specific dates. You want a or specific do, date? Do you want to see if I can guess them? Yeah, go on then. I reckon if if I had to put money on it, and this will not be as part of like the uh, the, the ongoing betting we have, I would say 30th of June 1993, but probably 10th of September for the UK. Jesus Christ. That seems very specific, Adam. Well, I've looked it up, haven't I? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. It's a summer film. Cool. Weird, weird summer film. Okay, so, director, Sidney Pollock. A legend. Right. I have heard of so few of this director's filmography. No. I've, I've heard of Tootsie oh. Out of Africa. Yeah, Three Days of the Condor. I did not see that in there. But okay, yeah, I've heard of that one. The Firm? Yeah. Yeah, just they about. Shoot, they shoot horses, don't they? Is a classic. Yeah, he kind of came up through TV, right? Yes, he's done a huge amount of TV since the sixties. Yeah, but he's also acted in a lot of things, including yeah. Eyes Wide Shut and Will and Grace. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, he's he's in, he's in a bunch of stuff because he he crops up as like um, as like cameos. I think he's in the Sopranos as well, right? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm honest, I was just surprised that I hadn't heard of or seen more of his films because I recognise the name Sidney Pollock. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I always confuse him with uh, Sidney Lemay or Lemet, uh, however you say it. Mm. The director of like Twelve Angry Men and uh, and of course Cindy uh, Prescott like, and all that. from yes, the Scream of franchise. Course. Of course, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> the film but, was written by. Sorry, oh. another. Ex- he he directed. Um, no, he didn't. Ignore that. Another example of uh, Tom Cruise working with like a legendary director. He's he's continuing to go around and right. collect directors collectors that doesn't really work that doesn't no. that would be tom cruise yes he's a collectors uh so Move on. right writers yes <laughs> writers yeah david rabe and robert town wrote the screenplay based on a john grisham novel oh the old grisham yeah well john grisham's written about 40 novels the firm uh being his uh was it being his second but the first adaptation right it's the yes, first john yeah. grisham well, movie the the, the firm Yes, so as the um, well, the book was written in 1991, so it's only a couple of years after. And his first book, A Time to Kill, was then adapted. Yeah, yeah, it was was adapted only a few years later. Um, Where have we seen Robert Town before, though, Tom? Well, well, he also, as much as that film had a script. Wrote Days, wrote of, Days Thunder. of Thunder, and he's about to come up again because he writes Mission Impossible and Mission Impossible Two. Yes, and amazingly, if you want to compare, I mean, Mission Impossible One and Two, you know, one's a good film, two's not a good film. Not Days of Thunder film, yeah. did not have a script. Yeah, he is also the writer of 1974's Chinatown. Yeah, I mean, that's a big, that's a heavy hitter, isn't it? That's uh, and it's obviously someone that, like, I think we covered this on the Days of Thunder thing, is that Robert Town is as demanding as Tom Cruise is, and that's why they get on. And it's no yeah. doubt when Tom, you know, when Tom Cruise now, after this, he kind of gets into producing his movies, especially with Mission Impossible. Um, no doubt that he is the one who is going like, well, we need Robert Town in here because he's one of the only people that can put up with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in terms of cast, Adam, uh, can you guess yeah. who uh, who the main actor is? Is it Tom Cruise? You're right. It is. Oh, you love to see him. You love oh, to see him. But he's joined by Gene Triplehorn. Fantastic name. name. Yeah, and another Gene as well. We've got yeah. two Genes in this movie. Gene Stock Hackman. full of genes. <laughs> this movie should be called Levi's. Because of all the jeans. <laughs> no, we didn't like. We didn't like so Gene Triplehorn was in Basic Instinct, Waterworld, Mickey Blue Eyes, and Frasier. Oh, that's fun. Whereas, uh, don't know if you've heard of Gene Hackman, Adam. I've heard of him. Mm. Um, he's um, he's quite a famous actor. I'm I'm not convinced I've seen him in anything else actually. No, would you like me to run through just a few of the films he's done? Yeah, go on then. Okay, Bonnie and Clyde, The French Connection, The Conversation, Young Frankenstein, Superman, Superman 2, Mississippi Burning, Unforgiven, The Quick and the Dead, Get Shorty, Ants, Enemy of the State, The Royal Tenenbaums, and Behind Enemy Lines. Yeah, I've seen those, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen those. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) And this film also features Ed Harris. Yeah. Always a pleasure. 
Always a pleasure. Well, yeah, and is this the first time that Cruz and Harris worked together? Because, of course, last week we discussed them mm. them reappearing together in uh, old TG Mav, as I call yeah. it. Uh, Holly Hunter. Oh, yes, the lovely Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter, who's in it for like five minutes. Mrs. Incredible. Yes. Mm. <laughs> I have a real thing for Holly Hunter. And I think it's largely predicated on her voice, which is one of the best uh, mm. voices in in films. I enjoyed her in Raising Arizona. Yeah, I mean, she, I'm, I've enjoyed her in everything. We were talking off air about another film that she's in. A couple of years after the film, she's in Crash, the David Cronenberg mm. movie, a film that makes me feel weird. <laughs> it's one of my favorite films ever made, and I don't want to see it again. And thinking about it makes me feel strange. Uh, you should watch it, Tom. I'd be very interested in your yeah. thoughts on. I will crash. if I if it's anywhere that I'd have to pay money, uh, legal services only. Uh, I will. Uh, I think if you went on Amazon Prime, you could get like a month free trial of BFI Player. Yeah, and there's some probably. cracking films on there, Tom. You could really, you know, up your game in terms of classic films. Yeah, I know, but there's so many subscriptions already. Yeah, but weighed you, down by the subscription. But it's Amazon, in it. You just uh, you just do your free trial, and then you immediately cancel it, and you have got a month for free. You don't have to worry about it. It's yeah, all good. I know. Another actor in it who seems to be appearing in any film I watch, regardless of whether it was made <laughs> twenty five years ago or yesterday. Sure. David Strathairn. David Strathairn. Yes. Yeah, yes. There you go. What what, what did you <laughs> what have you seen him in recently? He's in uh, Nightmare Alley. Is he? Yeah, and also he plays uh, a character in the Expanse TV series called Captain Ashford. I fucking knew that you would watch the Expanse. It's a sci-fi series with a good budget, and it's actually genuinely quite good. Have you read the books? No. So I'm reading the books. I have the first one on my Kindle. It's good. Yeah. It, it well, you know. It's fine. <laughs> it's sure. not like a great piece of literature, but it's not some nice sci-fi uh, sludge. And yeah. yeah, it's fun. I've got. I'm just. I'm going to dig into the second one soon. I've heard it's very enjoyable, hard sci-fi. So it takes itself yeah. seriously. Oh yeah, so seriously. It's a, still a fun, like pulpy story. Whole paragraphs on how the physics of like fast yeah. than light travel work or whatever. Yeah, they don't That's... have faster than light travel in the universe, but no, it doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They, I'm sure they take great care to explain why they don't have faster than <laughs> yeah, light travel. They do. They yeah. do. It's like three pages of it. Jesus. Uh, and then we also get Hank from Breaking Bad and Jigsaw. Yep. I've got them both in my notes. And did you miss, sorry, did you miss the teeth himself, Gary Busey? Sorry, I may have, uh, <laughs> I was too distracted by the fact I had to get Hank and Jigsaw down. Yeah, Hank and Jigsaw, they're both in it. Gary Busey's insane, uh, just in, in in life and not particularly in this movie. I think he's quite right. good in this movie. But uh, yeah, Gary Busey. Look, uh, just get his picture up on IMDb and just have a look at him. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do that right now. It's a pretty normal production, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. normal. Um, weirdly, we're going to touch on this a little bit next week or something similar, but Gene Hackman joins very late into the production of the movie because they originally wanted Meryl Streep for the role. They were going to change oh. the gender of, 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 of the character, um, but John Grisham refused all right. There you go. That's pretty much the most interesting thing that happens in production. It's just shot on location, and it's all fine, uh, except for like one little hiccup. But I think we'll get to that when we when we get to it. The, the beginning of filming, 
um, was delayed slightly. But I think it's more interesting to point that out when we get to the section where we where we point it out. If you know okay. what I mean. In, with that in mind, we should start the movie. Yeah. Because it opens on colleges. Well, it opens on Harvard specifically. And Boogie Woogie Piano. Uh, <laughs> reminiscent of the kind that Jules Holland would play Do on I? one of his many hootenannies. That seems um, very niche for an international audience yeah, there, Adam. Well, Tom Cruise is a hotshot law student. And he it starts with a montage, basically, which gives the movie a real sort of kineticism and energy. And they're all offering him like incredible jobs and packages and stuff, right? Yeah, and the longest interview we see is the one that he has with Deep Throat from the X Files, uh, and they ask about his wife, who it's clear that he adores, and asks about like his wider family. They're a small law firm in Memphis, uh, and they give him an offer in an envelope, and he asks if he should open it. They tell him any lawyer worth that offer should already know what it is, and he lawyers them, and it's like the highest offer that he receives or whatever. It's a good introduction to the character that he is talented but also somewhat unsure of himself mm. um, in direct contradiction to the last film in which he played a lawyer that was untalented but very sure of himself. Yeah, It's almost sure. like a complete role reversal in terms of Tom Cruise's performances, I think. Yeah, um, We see him and his wife in their tiny little apartment with their broken car and he's bought a fancy takeout and and a wine that, as he, he puts it, even has a cork. Yeah. And and their chemistry is good. And I believe that they are married. Uh, and they go to yes. Memphis to check it out. And I think Cruz's performance, like, there's a difference to A Few Good Men, right? But he's not aggressively cocky. And it does kind of appear that he's sort of settled into a bit of a groove um, on these two movies right they feel like adjacent performances yeah and it's, it's unfortunate to some degree that they're back to back how do you mean well i watched them not that far apart and it's difficult and not to compare them right yes yeah even yeah. though in reality because obviously he plays lawyers in each but the reality is that they are vastly different forms of law very different movies and i i think we touched on that um, when we talked about A Few Good Men a couple of weeks ago, um, because Lucas, our guest for that episode, couldn't decide if he wanted to do The Firm or A Few Good Men because he loves courtroom dramas. Now, The Firm, not a courtroom drama at all. It is a legal thriller, but it's easy to draw the line between the two movies because they're both based around lawyers and the law and crimes that may or may not have taken place and all that stuff isn't it and they both have that kind of montages of people investigating you know stuff like that so so when tom cruise and his wife go to memphis for just a visit at first the first <laughs> thing we see adam they go out on the town don't they, they go out on the town and tom cruise yeah. decides to do some backflips down the street right what is that about what is that about they're talking they're talking with people from the firm, the law firm, the titular yeah. firm, that there's only been one divorce in the entire firm or whatever, and that, that that's a bit weird. And then Tom Cruise, out of nowhere, does some acrobatics, but not just acrobatics, he does them with a child. Yeah. There's and a it small seems... child doing backflips, and then he just sort of joins in. And it seems like the only real reason for that 
It's for the, well, they, the they, bit at the end, right? Yeah, it's for the yeah. point where he walks past and he doesn't do a backflip. No, no, no. There's something else. There's other acrobatic stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. With the yeah. pipe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. there's one point to basically go, yes, he's actually, despite being a, a lawyer that works really hard and wouldn't have time to work out, he is incredibly physically fit. Yes, uh, but just also, so you know. But later on, he can walk past the same kid and, and the kid's like, oh, yeah, let's do some yeah. backflips. And he's like, no, I'm too sad to do I'm a backflip. I'm too sad for backflips now. <laughs> It's also edited in a way that I'm not sure if it's Tom Cruise doing it or not. No, I don't think it is. Because if don't it was Tom it Cruise, you'd hold on Tom Cruise and show you him. You would, d- but that first shot of him going down and his legs going into the air, that is Tom Cruise. Mm. So maybe he just can't do the backflips bits. Yeah. Maybe it's that. It's it's an odd... I mean, it's just to set up those two things. There's no earthly reason why he should do backflips in the middle of the street, right? No. I mean, maybe it's because like he's had he's been poor... They've had it pretty hard by the looks of things, and now everything's on the up. So I'm so not saying this is this is good. Like, that's not a good read, like, Tom. That's not, it's not a good read. <laughs> no, I'm I'm saying maybe the director were like, let's show and be really enthusiastic by backflipping down the street. I mean, it's not good. <laughs> there's loads of things. I think it's the first one where they're just setting something up because there's loads of bits in this movie where you go, I don't know why that just happened, only for it to come back an hour later. Right. Like the whole thing where someone is like, oh, you need to put in a billing number so that you can make photocopies. You're like, okay, why are you telling me that? And then it comes back an hour later because yeah. he needs to go and buy his own photocopier. Anyway, um, <laughs> they go to a firm party as well where um, – Okay, so Tom Cruise. We haven't done character names yet, Tom. Uh, so Tom. Do you Cruise, think I have that written down? Because I don't. Okay, right. He's What's called his name? Mitch McDear. Fuck's okay? sake. And his wife is called Abby McDear. Okay, there we okay. go. So Mitch and Abby go to a, a work party to like introduce themselves to the firm. It looks good. The ribs look good. Um, but she is told, Abby is told, the firm don't forbid the women to work. And the firm encourages children. And it's a bit weird. And actually, I like how the film slowly folds in how weird the firm is. Yeah. Before we go any any further, I I should point out that when I started watching this film, I didn't truly know what the firm was about. I just knew it was like a legal drama, sort of thriller. I hadn't even asked you if you'd seen it before. Right, this was your first experience of the firm. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't right. seen the firm before. Um, and so when it got kind of weird, like women w- women working isn't forbidden, the firm encourages children, I thought maybe it was going to go a little bit like devil's advocate. Cult horror sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. I, thought so, I thought the firm was actually going to be, well, actually, this is owned by Satan. Uh, so, and obviously it is, and it's a John Grisham novel, but like... Yeah, of course, John Grisham. That's such a it weird was really going for some weird, like, cult, like indoctrinated yeah. people but it does come across like that but I, I also think that is that is valid to the story i think you do end up like becoming indoctrinated into the firm yeah right like it, yeah. when it transpires you know but when you find out what is really going on um this is my third time seeing the firm um it's one of the movies i've seen most um i suppose um in, in our interesting run. choice yeah, I'm not really sure why uh, I've seen it three times. Well, obviously once was because I was doing it for the podcast, but I've seen it twice before, and I don't really know why. I think it's just because it's a film that's on Channel 4 a, a lot when I was growing okay. up, maybe. Like, it's just right. one of those things. I've just seen it a bunch of times. Um, yeah, I mean, there's only... 
in our in our run of films on the podcast now, Tom, there's only two films that I haven't seen going forward. It's only Lions for Lambs and Rock of Ages. There's the only two I haven't seen. Wow. Everything else is well-worn territory for me. Once we get into 2000s, then I'm, it I'm in a similar up. position. It starts yeah. picking up for you, yeah. Um, we see a meeting of the partners of the firm um, talking about the phone calls that Mitch's wife, Abby, had made, one to a school board about a job and another to her parents, and that something should be done in regards to another matter. But it's all very mysterious, and, and it all may not be as it seems. Anyway, they move to Memphis to a beautiful house, a new Mercedes. Let's talk about the music in this film, um, because it's ludicrous. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much, and it was nominated for an Oscar. I hate it. Right? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I uh, loved it so much that I uh, have zero memory of it. <laughs> it's, it's I all, literally could. It's, I have no notes on it. I have no memory of what the music was like. It's all like soft piano. Right. Um, the thing about the score is that it's all made on one piano, which we'll come into later. But it's all soft piano or boogie-woogie piano. And there's really no in between. It's all that because I imagine because they're in Memphis and they wanted to reflect. Anyway, I hate it. It's really overbearing. Um, Mitch has his first day at work. He gets there very early, and is shut out of what might be a meeting, but also might not be a meeting in Kaczynski's office. They they see him and it's then they close the door on him so he can't see into the office anymore. Um, so he sets up in the library and once everyone else uh, is in, they show him his office and repeatedly tell him that nobody, none of the associates that have ever worked at the firm have ever failed the bar exam. And they're all there to help him with the bar exam. And he meets so many people and he's all stressed uh, when suddenly his mentor is stood in the doorway and it's only Gene fucking Hackman uh, playing a character called Avery Tolar. What is your experience with Gene Hackman, Tom? Uh, not, not great. I mean, I've seen ants. <laughs> you seen? Have you seen the Royal Tenenbaums? I actually haven't, but I have okay. seen Mississippi Burning and Unforgiven, though admittedly he's great time. in Unforgiven. Um, have you and the seen? You should really see... Um, oh, The Quick and the Dead's a weird movie. You should really see The Conversation um, and The French Connection. Yeah. Those are both classic Gene Hackman uh, movies. Um, they go to a working lunch, right? Although they talk about his role, which is managing offshore accounts legally... And they talk about operating by not breaking the law, but by seeing how far it will bend. Yeah. Uh, and when they go to that working lunch, uh, Gene Hackman says to Tom Cruise, the firm frowns upon drinking at work. And then he orders a martini, which is <laughs> very funny. Um, Avery sort of interrogates Mitch a little bit. You know, why did he become a lawyer and all of that? But Avery himself avoids answering any questions seriously. And while this is happening, Abby is back at the house dealing with all of the hospitality. Everyone's trying to help her move in and all the wives of the, the lawyers at the firm are kind of pitching in. Um, and weirdly, one of the technicians knows Cruz's exact office number. 
his phone number. Huh. Well, I, that may have that might have been a uh, a bigger deal in the nineties, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> But also, I imagine they're like they're part of the firm. I don't know. It's all very insidious, isn't it? Oh, yeah. insidious. Um, Mitch and Abby go to visit some new friends, but uh, those friends have just found out that some other friends from the firm have died in a boating accident, and it's quite an effectively sort of haunting scene actually because he's sat in the path of a sprinkler. Do you remember yeah. that? And it's yeah. just hitting him because he can't like he's just not registering it. And Abby on their on their way back kind of um points out that they were sort of they seemed scared. Yeah. Um And weirdly the husband, despite the spring just being completely, as you say, unaware of the sprinkler, he's clearly in shock. Like the one thing that he kind of actually says lucidly is like, Oh, by the way, the firm will repay your student loan. Yeah. Yeah. So. Weird. Really weird. I like all the little bits of weirdness that it folds in. Yeah. Um, at the funeral for these people who recently died, uh, Avery, Gene Hackman, flirts and kind of schmoozes with Abby, and he just seems really sus. Uh, and there's a montage of them settling in with the house and the office being decorated. He gets fitted for a suit, um, and then he starts working late, which puts strain on their relationship. And then Avery lets Mitch know that they're headed to the Caymans, causing another late night uh, in which he works in an all-night diner. And in the all-night diner, two people sit near him. And one is uh, Ed Harris, most famously from Top Gun Maverick. Um, <laughs> and they know <laughs> they know a bit about him. They mention that four lawyers have died, Krauss, Lamb, Kaczynski, and Hodges. And then they just sort of leave. And then Mitch does a little bit of digging on those names in in the company computers and it turns out the boating accident that they died in was was in the caymans so he's starting to piece together the the this these bits and pieces of stuff that seem connected um and then there's a really good scene where mitch and abby are like talk about him working late and wanting to provide her with all the things that she gave up to marry him and she says well it's not about that. It's about you wanting to get out of the trailer park and forget the, briz- the, the brother that you have in prison. Um, look, we're doing that thing again where this is very plot-heavy. Yeah. And the film as a whole, unremarkably directed, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's loads of... It, it feels disingenuous to just compare it to A Few Good Men because it's the film that came before it and they're both legal like drama thriller things. But The Firm and A Few Good Men have something in common, which is basically the films are just a series of people talking at each other and relaying exposition. Yes. Um revealing little tiny details that yeah. would be really boring for us to go through in, yeah, in detail exactly. and yet we will and we will oh, excruciating detail <laughs> excruciating detail um but it's like it doesn't look remarkable this film um no. the score you know i don't personally like it but it's fine all of the acting i mean i think tom cruise is particularly good in this the rest of the acting is all fine and actually Gene Hackman seems to be absent from the film entirely like he just sort of sleepwalks through the movie a little bit Um, he's just sort of 
I don't know, he's just sat there delivering his lines, which is the job of an actor, don't get me wrong. But there's no, like... I don't know, there's no fire in uh, in Gene Hackman's performance here, right? Yeah, if you were watching this thinking, oh, so this is Gene Hackman, I've heard lots about him, he's meant to be really good. You'd yeah. just be like, okay, well, he's not bad. Yeah, heaven forbid this be your first experience with Gene Hackman, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Gene Hackman, him and Tom Cruise go to the Caymans uh, in the movie, <laughs> um, yeah. where they where they go diving in the exact circumstances that the other lawyers died, which was yeah. pretty would have been pretty sus. But also, Tom Cruise is putting all that stuff together and realizing it's the same boat charter. They set up that thing about there having to be a certain amount of time between going diving and going on a plane to avoid yeah. getting compression sickness, which is called the bends. And people should listen to my other podcast about Radiohead. <laughs> yes. Um. um and then they meet with a client who wants to fire them. Um, Mitch is out of his depth, it seems, and the client reacts a bit poorly. And then Avery makes mention of other clients involved in the tax shifting that may be a sensitive. A wink, wink. Uh, the client refers to them as our friends in Chicago. Hmm, what's mm. going on? Something weird's going on. Um, and at this point, I realised that maybe the bad guy of the film wasn't going to be Satan. <laughs> right, okay. When they started talking about all the tax deals of the clients the ta- they have, yeah. you're like, yeah, the I Chicago-based guess, clients. I guess Satan, one, doesn't live in Chicago. And I mean, he might. Two, probably doesn't need, has no need for tax lawyers. I, I bet reckon. he doesn't pay any taxes. Yeah, I know, the bastard. Yeah. That bastard Satan. Um, eventually, Mitch uses his persuasive powers to close the deal and afterwards asks Avery who is in Chicago. But Avery won't say. Mm. Mm. Already, Mitch seems like he's regretting all of this. Uh, but goes to investigate a little bit further with the boat charter guy and finds out that at the time of the deaths, there were two other people there. One of them blonde. Important detail that a stranger would tell you. I know. Yeah, but it is an important detail. One of them was blonde. It turns out to be an important detail. And it just sounds weird when you just say it like that. Um, Mitch and Avery, they're getting ready to go out for a night on the town. Uh, whilst getting beer, Mitch finds boxes of folders relating to a holding company in Chicago assigned to Alice Krause, who, of course, is one of the lawyers who died. Um, was she, well, did she die or was she murdered? Um, when they're out at the bar, Mitch is approached by a woman, but he, he declines her advances, which Avery seems weirdly disappointed about right yeah and then mitch goes for a walk on the beach and sees a woman being assaulted and kind of steps in um he doesn't so much steps in step in as the guy that's assaulting the woman sees him and then leaves but he does step in to look at her injury and have sex with her well adam it's very difficult when you've helped a woman who's injured to yeah. not have sex with I, her. Yeah, I, it's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle, <laughs> right. Yeah, of course. Um, I have absolutely no idea why Mitch, as a character, would have sex with that woman. No. He's just walked away from a woman 
because yeah. he doesn't want to have sex with a woman who isn't his wife. Yeah. So he sees a woman that's in pain and then goes, well, that's changed it. Well, that, the other thing is their chem- the chemistry with the wife is so good. Like Gene Triplehorn's chemistry with Tom Cruise, Mitch and Abby, it's so good. I completely believe that they are married. I completely yeah. believe that they're devoted to each other. And everything that Mitch says about Abby, he loves her like so much. Yeah. It makes no sense for this character to make no. this decision in that moment. It's not like they go, oh, and five years have passed. And now the mm. marriage has gotten stale, and yeah. Tom Cruise has got you know too big for his station. You know, like he thinks he's a hotshot lawyer now. It's right. just like he—he's still like nervously like, oh god, am I going to do anything right? He's not cocky. Yeah, exactly. I think they try and dress it up with the with the the woman who was who was unnamed in the in the in the film, by the way, well, as as women tend to be until <laughs> yeah. I don't know three <laughs> another, years ago. Another, yeah, another twenty years. Um, uh, she she talks about how like oh she's poor and wants to feel rich which might vibe with Mitch with Tom Cruise's character because he has talked about being from a trailer park with a brother in prison and stuff so maybe he sees a connection there I don't really buy it and it's it's just it's another thing that is thrown in there so that it can come back later Um, yeah I don't buy it 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 winds me up like more each time I watch the film um Having said that, the film so far, perfectly entertaining. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, like just... I'm not bored. No, I'm enjoying this. Yeah, good film, good film. Um, Because it's interesting and it's twisty and it's turning and it's it's thrillery. And at this point, I'm genuinely like, oh, well, who are the people in Chicago? What's going on? Um, I think John Grisham is uh, capable of writing a story that gets you hooked. I think he is probably known for that exact thing. We should put that, that, that should be put on the front cover of one of his books. Because yeah. you're an author, and I'm sure yeah. he would appreciate the, yeah. the thumbs up from other authors, and you could just have on the front, <laughs> able to write a story that keeps you hooked, Tom Ashford. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> we're at similar levels of success. Similar levels. Yeah. Similar levels. Mind you, okay, well, you're fucking catching him up for a number of books written, I reckon. <laughs> Aren't you? Yeah. Fucking halfway. Churning them out, Tom. <laughs> churning them out. Um, yeah. <laughs> On the plane on the way home from the Caymans, Avery tells him uh, that Mitch's wife had phoned during the night and that he had told her he was walking on the beach. But also there's a strange level of threat there. And there's also a lot of guilt on Mitch's part. But also it's his fault, so what can you do about it? Um, He's given the afternoon off and instead of going home, Mitch goes to prison to visit his brother. And that's David Strathairn. And it is always yeah. a pleasure to see David Strathairn. Um, they have a bit of an awkward catch-up. And I guess Mitch feels like that's one of the only people that he can talk to because he says, wouldn't it be funny if you went to jail and I went to Harvard and we both ended up surrounded by crooks? So he's starting to, you know, he has a pretty good idea that something is going on, even if he doesn't know exactly what it is. And yeah. so his brother sends him to a private investigator friend, but also asks him, like, can you get me out of here? And there's an additional level of stakes added to the movie there. And he visits uh, the investigator. It's Gary Busey and his assistant, Holly Hunter. Um, Classic. Holly Hunter's great. Uh, I love Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter is the best. Everybody should go and watch all of her movies. 
BC is a huge scumbag in this movie, and I love yeah. it. He's incredible. <laughs> He's got such a vibe about him. Um, have you seen Point Break, Tom? I still haven't seen Point Break, no. Jesus, Jesus wept. I'm waiting until we do a, a Keanu Reeves season. I'm waiting until I can ask a question like, have you seen X, Tom? And you just go, yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> What won't happen? I'm going to deliberately okay. not watch films that That's I know it. you'll want me to, to watch. Okay, great. Forever. Um, the investigator Lomax, played by Gary Busey, agrees to take the case. Uh, he's armed and a bit of a loose cannon, but he also warns that the uh, the guys in the diner uh, who knew a lot about Mitch may have been from the FBI. Oh my god! Female body inspectors. Yeah. So again, nineteen ninety-three. That's acceptable humor. <laughs> okay, and, and I'm in nineteen ninety-three now. Yeah. yeah. Um, when he gets home, Abby is rightfully like suspicious of where he's been because she's talked to Avery, and uh, <laughs> Avery was like, "Oh, well, he must be in the library," but she went to check and he wasn't in the library. So he has to reveal that he was with his brother Ray. Um, and what a what a disappointing thing to have to reveal. Gutting, like yeah. What, what were we doing? I was seeing the brother you told me to visit. Oh, shameful, <laughs> yeah. shameful, shameful, disgusting. Um, but then at the investigator's office, some thugs turn up. And from my memory, Gary Busey was in this film for much longer, but he's, yeah, he's not. He's I mean, not. No, it's Jigsaw and Hank is what I've got written yeah, down. So it is. We both instantly went, oh, it's Jigsaw and Hank. Um, it's lit preposterously, that film. It looks like a Batman movie. Yeah. It's all green and purple. It's like they went, hey, have you ever seen a film noir? <laughs> yeah. Can we do that? But Let's just do that. I've also seen Tim Burton. <laughs> so... The thugs ask Lomax... Who hired him? Like, why are you asking all these questions? And that with each question that he won't answer, they shoot him. They shoot him once in the ear, once in the arm, once in the shoulder. And he is, Lomax, whilst pretending to answer them, uh, reaches under the desk and fires his own gun, which hits Hank in the knee. And I, we, we will be referring to them yeah. as Hank and Jigsaw and nobody else. Um, and then they kill Gary Busey. Now, unfortunately... Holly Hunter, who, uh, right, Tammy, that's her name, okay? Okay. She sees the whole thing because uh, she was under the desk the whole time because they were being a little bit sexy. A little bit naughty. A little bit naughty. But um, horrible shot where the, you know, the blood of the person she's dating gets splattered all over her face. Um, That was slightly arresting. Um, This film packs so much in um like i think we're like halfway through the film already you know um mitch goes to a conference and is met there by the fbi ed harris and some other guy who's with the department of justice who have been investigating the firm for four years and here's where it's all laid out nobody has ever left the firm alive like, nobody's ever just quit the firm. Nobody's been fired. Like, there's been four people who've died under mysterious circumstances. He tells Mitch that his house is likely bugged and that he yeah. might be being followed by the firm's security. He reveals that the firm represents the mafia 
in Chicago with money laundering and illegal activities and the FBI needs someone on the inside and make it quite clear that if Mitch doesn't help he will also be arrested when they take down the firm. Um, puts Mitch in a bit of a bind because he doesn't like the idea of witness protection, right? He doesn't want to live and, someone else's life. And also he'd be disbarred for life. Yeah, he'd be disbarred for life, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. If, imagine working that hard to become a lawyer and being like, yeah, finally, I'm, yeah, oh no, yeah, oh, first well, job. Pick the wrong law firm. Um, yeah. And they also dangle his brother's parole in front of him. Just like, oh, remember your brother's parole? It's coming up and, you know, yeah. So there's a lot of stakes. Again, it just packs yeah. it in. There's, it wants you to be aware of everything that's going on and all of the things and it just throws all of these things at the wall and hopes that some of them stick. And I think mostly they do stick. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, it's, and, and it's, I think a lot of that is down to Cruz's performance, which is very steady for a lot of the movie, but he does a really good job of seeming like lost and confused and has a good panicky performance. His performance in this reminded me a little bit of Risky Business, just that right. way that he's yeah. out of his depth and constantly trying to play catch up. Um, but this is a much more nuanced performance than, than the risky business. Um, his next move is pretty clever because Mitch goes directly to the firm and talks to the partners and says, I've been talking to the FBI. Um, and he plays a little bit dumb and gives a slightly false account saying that they want secret files and saying that there may have been some murders. But he does that so he can appear to be, um, quote unquote, on side. Yeah. And then he goes home and... Um, does that classic movie thing where he turns the music up really loud so that he can whisper in Abby's ear and tell her the whole situation. She runs out of the house. Mitch runs after her, and what do we get? Tom Cruise running. The full Tom Cruise run, Tom. I've literally got Tom Cruise is running plus one Cruiseness. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because it's a proper Tom Cruise run as well. His yeah. arms are pumping away. Um and they discuss leaving, just just leaving, but they can't. And they need to behave as though nothing is different. They need to continue their lives as though they know nothing. And at this point, the film becomes a pretty, a, a, a good, a really good paranoid thriller. Yeah, like you're not sure what's going to happen next. You know, you're not sure what Mitch is going to do. Tom Cruise has got that great sort of like panicky performance. Um. And then it just starts setting stuff up. The next three minutes of the movie is insane. He has the copier issue where he can't make copies. and because Right, so ideally, he has to make copies of all of the documents and give them to the FBI. That's his MO from this point forward. He can't use the copier because you have to put in a billing number to charge the copying to the clients. He is no longer invited to the Caymans. Someone calls about a billing issue, reckons they've been overcharged. All of that is set up. Holly Hunter delivers him a fried egg sandwich. And, but, and then, but Adam. What? Inside the bag. Yeah. It's not a fried egg sandwich. What is it, Tom? It's a note telling him where to meet her. Now, I would be disappointed that they couldn't, she couldn't have at least got out got a fried egg sandwich yeah. and put the note with the sandwich but then he might not have gone to the to the bar restaurant cafe because he was full 
Yeah. He'd eaten the fried egg sandwich. Because then, because yeah. then he meets her, and I presume, and if they, I can't remember, but if they didn't do this, it'd be disappointing. He should be eating a fried egg sandwich when he's there next to her. You think they went to talk about her, her boyfriend being murdered, and they had yep. a full lunch? Well, I think he did. <laughs> okay. I'm not saying she would have had a fried egg sandwich. Do you think he ate during that meeting, do you? That clandestine meeting about yep. this person who's wanted by hitmen. Well, how suspect would it look if the two of them were just sat next to each other, facing the window, talking, and not one of them even ordered a drink or a bit of food? Well, I'm not saying they don't have a drink. I'm just saying, by the way, okay. the, the hitmen were that the killed Lomax, obviously ordered by the firm um, of themselves. So she is on the run from hitmen hired by the company that, that Tom Cruise's character works for. Yeah. I find it unlikely that they ordered food. Mm. Seems a wasted opportunity. At least get a dessert. Well, just a dessert? That's insane. Apple pie? No, you don't get just a dessert. Adam, have you seen any American film? You go to I... one of these diners and you order an apple pie and you don't need to have a main. You just have the apple pie. That is a your main, main. A main. In America, they call it the entree. That's true. Sure. Well, ask your wife. Anyway. I've been to America, Adam. I've had meals there. <laughs> okay. Well, obviously, you weren't on the road from Hitmen then, were you? No, I wasn't. Um, on the I way wasn't. back to the office... <laughs> on the way back to the office, he is stopped by firm security, who, uh, played by Wilford Brimley, with that magnificent moustache. Um, they take him to a remote place and show him pictures taken of him cheating with that woman yeah. in the Caymans. It's an effectively threatening scene. Um, and then straight away, as he's returned, he's summoned to a meeting that has everybody in the firm there. And, yeah. there, and there, that one guy's like, I bet you think you're pretty clever, don't you? <laughs> well, we found someone cleverer than you because you got the second highest score on the bar exam. And everyone hey! claps. And it's <laughs> revealed that his wife is there. and But, of course, his wife is there and he's holding... The envelope with pictures of him of him cheating on her, and it's yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Um, Imagine if Cruz had just just pissed himself out of sheer fear. What? Just urinated on the floor? Yeah, but imagine being brought into a group of people that you know are in league with the mob, and you've just been threatened and blackmailed by the mob, essentially. And you walk in, and they're just like, "Well, you thought you were really smart." Okay, yeah, that is an intimidating prospect, isn't it? Yeah. Imagine if he just was so. Oh god, I'm literally about to die. This is how I die. He just pissed himself, and then everyone was all like, "Oh, oh, not really much of a party atmosphere in here no. anymore." <laughs> and you can't get fired. No one leaves alive, so they'd have to kill him. They'd have just, to kill just, him just for wetting himself. Yeah. Unbelievable, this firm, isn't it? Um, Tammy Holly Hunter's character rents an office like across the street from where the firm are, right? Yeah. Um, to which a copier will be delivered. And that's kind of intercut with Mitch taking the oath of becoming a lawyer, but he seems pretty gutted about it. And straight after, he goes out to dinner with Abby and elects to tell her about the night on the beach. So I guess it kind of eliminates the threat of it, right? Or... It, does seem like the, well, it's the, it does seem like the sensible and the moral thing to do. The moral thing to do is to not have done it not in to the first place, yeah. I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, but in this weird world where Tom Cruise's character has no control of his own destiny or his willpower and bad things just seem to happen to him without any real like development or reason, such mm. as, oh, look, there's a woman with a bad ankle. Oh, no, I've had sex with her. Right. <laughs> right. 
it in that in <laughs> that, that world, is what that is basically what happened yeah, isn't it yeah in that world i feel like you know the, the morally correct thing is to tell your wife in any world to be honest the morally correct thing to do is yeah, probably be honest about it yeah i guess yeah that's if you're true. if you're a prick a selfish prick at least tell your wife okay good that's yeah. good advice that's good advice yeah um, and it's after that that he walks past little flippy boy and he doesn't do any flips he can't do any flips he's too sad for flipping yeah yeah um basically their plan like tammy's plan is she has that office with the copier and um she meets with Mitch in an elevator, I guess over a number of days. They do this numerous times and they swap bags and she takes the documents away to be copied and then they'll swap back. And that's how they're doing it because he can't copy it in the office. He's taking them elsewhere to be copied. Um, yeah. And Mitch is then in a meeting about billing and that particular client is being overbilled and points out that every time a bill is mailed out with a stamp on it, it becomes mail fraud, which is a federal offence, punishable with a $10,000 fine and three to five years for each instance, which means Mitch has found a way to take down the firm without being disbarred or doing something illegal, yeah. like like revealing anything about his clients, like breaking confidentiality or anything like that. That whole thing, that's quite... That's quite a clever aspect of this film, I think, the way that he takes down the firm. It was invented yep. for the film. Really? In, in the book, it's completely different. In, oh. In, in, is it, in, is, but is it a real-life law? Yes, but the way that they... Yeah, it's a real-life law. Mail fraud is a okay. real thing. Yeah. But um, the way they get there is a bit disingenuous because it's not illegal to name... Like, it's not a breach of confidentiality to name clients who... Are, are going to commit a crime. It's only if they right. have committed a crime. And there's a decent argument that the Mafia are definitely going to continue to commit crimes. So okay. it wouldn't have been illegal for him to just go, you know, to the FBI with that information. So there's a bit of a circuitous route to get there. But this feels cleverer. In in the book, he breaks a bunch of laws in order to, like, um, nail uh, them. But also swindles the firm out of $10 million dollars and the FBI out of a million dollars, and then retires to the Cayman Islands himself. You see, now, that sounds fun, but it does sound like a less satisfying uh, arc for a lawyer character. Yes, this is much more satisfying because he maintains his integrity, like, of being to the law and using the book to do it. But not his integrity to his wife. No, that's in in tatters. Yeah. Um, Mitch meets the FBI at a dog track and he does demand a million dollars and his brother out of prison and he knows he's being unreasonable and he goads the FBI uh, agent Ed Harris to into threatening him and also into admitting that he technically hasn't done anything wrong and then he confirms his name <laughs> and then <laughs> reveals that he's being recorded and cruises in like that nice grim control mode now like I like his performances when he's being, you know, firm. If you'll pardon the pun, is mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's he's very good at it. That kind of focused energy. Um, he tells him he should uh, reconsider. Abby wants to leave to stay with parents. They have that conversation outside and then make up an excuse about illness so that they can have that conversation inside where the firm can hear them. And then 
the rest of this movie is really dense. There's a lot going on, and it's not difficult to follow at all, but it's really difficult to relay what's going on. Like, there are some scenes that only last about 30 seconds and are just yeah. are just there to relay information to you. I, I do have a note, which is that I can follow this movie fine in terms of its like momentum and the general plan and what the lore is, etc. Yeah. But the details of seat from scene to scene sometimes just like flow right past me. And I'm just yes. like, oh I didn't completely pay attention there. I don't know why they're going here. I mean I, it's like when they jump ahead, they go back to the Cayman Islands. Back I get to it. the Caymans. Is that song? That might be yeah, song. sure. But they go back, and at that point, I'm like, I get why, but also in terms of the individual specific details, I don't really know exactly why they're doing it. But you kind of get just yeah. pulled along by the film, and you you know where you want it to end up. You know why people are doing stuff, but you don't know the specific details. Sometimes seem to get lost along the way. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, you kind of need to follow the vibe rather than the exact. Uh, point by point details of it and there's a moment actually where I start to get a bit fed up of that but it's (laughs) I don't know Um, it's actually I think it's coming up because Avery meets Abby uh... no I've skipped some stuff see it's really dense (laughs) no no Avery turns up at the school no we've got some bits before that oh okay I haven't written them down (laughs) The whole, the whole thrust of, of, of the next part of the movie is that um, Mitch is gathering evidence on the overbilling and also arranging with the boat charter guy in the Caymans to keep Avery out for long enough on his next diving trip that Tammy can go to the Caymans and copy everything that is in the closet because that closet yeah. is where all the files on the Mafia are kept. Um that's what it is. And, and it's also at this and, point that they start making crews look more and more tired as the movie goes yeah. on. They start putting bigger and bigger bags under his eyes and it looks, it's great. It's such a great touch. But yeah, that was the entire moment where I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. losing track of what is happening. <laughs> Holly Hunter is now just planning to go to the Cayman Islands. I know that there are files on the Cayman Islands. Yes. Why do they need those files when everything else they need isn't in the Cayman Islands? Well, it's pre-internet. Not yeah. not pre-internet, but pre-email and, and and well, no, but like you can't, you know, like yeah. he, he's not they able to had... electronically send the documents yes. and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, there's no central database. They are kept in a closet in the Cayman Islands. Um, Avery meets Abby at the school she teaches at because he wants to say goodbye. But the film hasn't done a good enough job of really explaining how close they are. No, I don't it's think cr- it's creepy enough to just turn up where a woman works. It's even creepier when she works at school. school. Yeah, that's true. But he invites her to the Caymans um, and also reveals that he can't dive because he had to shorten the trip, which means he wouldn't be able to get on the plane. Um, And here's where it gets really like... So Abby lets Tammy know and they agree not to tell Mitch, but someone at the firm picks up that phone call and knows that they are on to something and something's going to happen in the Cayman Islands. Uh, Even though they don't necessarily know that anybody, like that that Abby's going to take 
him up on his invite to the Cayman Islands, but spoiler alert, she does. The FBI let out Ray with the idea to follow him and stall on the money that they're going to give to Mitch so that when they get the documents, they don't give the money and take Ray back to jail. Abby goes to the Cayman Islands and meets Avery. The film, by the way, is sponsored by Havana Club, I reckon, because he keeps fucking mentioning how good that fucking rum is. And I've seen this film three times now, and it's it's here... Every time the film just vaguely loses me. Yeah. One as soon as Abby turns up in the Caymans and it becomes about her and Gene Hackman and Ray is like on the run from the FBI, I'm like, okay. I mean it's still it's still entertaining, but I'm just like I'm not as into it as I was. You've lost me a bit. And I think I pinpointed it this time. Do you know what it is? What? There's less Tom Cruise in this bit. Yeah. Yeah. As the characters carry out the individual parts of the plan, we get split up from like the main guy, and the film does slightly suffer as a result. It feels too spread out and too disparate, I think. I also think the whole party club sort of vibe um, that Hackman's at, like it kind of it does feel like a cheap thriller at that point. The vibe of those scenes feel like a cheap thriller that doesn't have the uh, the cruiseness or the yeah. quality to carry it. Yeah, and I think that's because Gene Hackman is sleepwalking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, oh, I'm here. Uh, you know, someone paid for me to come to the Cayman Islands. <laughs> I'm drinking rum and I'm talking to this woman and that's just sort of my life for two weeks or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, there's the bit at the rest stop. I didn't even bother to set up Elvis. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, I, I didn't. <laughs> follow what was happening there i just allowed it to happen in my it happened on screen i was like yeah so okay the elvis guy the guy who looks exactly like elvis is tammy's ex-husband who she has said about an hour earlier would do anything for her so now he's part of the plan in order to get ray past the fbi agents who are following him and the way that they do that is like he goes into the bathroom and then puts on some like they've left some clothes for him and he changes his clothes and then he gets into Elvis's truck and then they, they do a little switch and he escapes. While that's happening, Abby in the Cayman Islands is seducing and drugging Avery. And I think it's the one good bit of Hackman performance actually, where he's somewhere between drunk and drugged and sad and he just kind of falls asleep. Um and then Tammy and Abby again both in the Cayman Islands set about copying the files that they need to get to because she's taken the keys from Avery. But there aren't any amounts on them, Tom. There's another complication. So Mitch has to find them back where he is, and it turns out they're on Avery's computer. The next morning, Abby tries to get Avery's keys back, but he's awake, and the hitmen are on their way because the firm know, apparently, and I can't work out how. There's also the whole thing about who is the guard and who does the guard work for that told... Uh, the security at the firm that Mitch had worked out a deal why did they get to use a fax machine but none of the rest of this is possible via a fax machine we don't know, we don't know any of this Um, it's impossible to know one piece of information that Avery does impart is that the woman Mitch cheated with was hired by the firm to entice him so that they had something on him yeah, which means that it was okay because and yeah, women, exactly. women are at fault if they seduce you. If you're a married man and a woman seduces you, it's the woman's fault. 100%. Um, I don't know how the hitmen find out, 
but they do uh like I, Mitch is trying to access uh Avery's computer which is the password to it is Cordelia which is a name that Gene Hackman had said about an hour previous on a phone did you catch that uh, no okay cool 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 but also the FBI now know that the firm knows yeah and also it's is it wait uh, I can't remember when it's revealed uh, also the mafia are in town today because of course right? they are because that would be helpful wouldn't it <laughs> yeah oh it's, it's, it's the next scene because there's a scene where Mitch, having just got all the information he needs and is about to leave, is called into the office by the partners. Yes. And he's like, oh, fuck, you know. But he gets delayed by a phone call from a judge and he takes the phone call. But the phone call is actually the FBI telling him to get out. And so he just fucking books it. And he's running around the building. He throws a chair through a window, jumps onto a truck out of the window. A pillow truck. A pillow truck. Luckily, it was there. I actually think it was cotton. Oh, okay. I think it might have been cotton because we're in Memphis. Um... But they, again, they also had that truck in numerous shots being like, they did. just parked there, being like, oh, this is annoying. Why is this here? Oh. There's a whole, yeah, there's a whole little scene when he's going to the office about 20 minutes earlier where someone's going like, you can't park this here. You need to move. This is against your permit. So it's all just stuff that's like, that you don't think matters comes back. Um, he then calls the FBI and it's then it's revealed that the Moralto family are in arriving in Memphis today. All of that information is just dropped like so conveniently, like right there. Like, why wouldn't they have let him know? Maybe even just like two days before they were due to arrive, because yeah. they're very likely going to want to kill him. Um, <laughs> it's appropriately tense, but it's not very like artfully done, is it? No. Um, he needs to disappear, so he goes to a museum on an island only accessible by cable car. It's all that's so not, that's not written in as a set piece at all, is it? <laughs> It's called Mud Island. Would you ever yeah. go anywhere that was called Mud Island? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I Why would you? Im- imagine you were the person who like created that entire like exhibition, that 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 museum. It'd just be like, okay, so uh, what are we going to call it? Mud Island. <laughs> mm? um, Do you want to get the marketing team on that? Yeah, I mean, Mud Island. We, uh, yeah, I, I insist that this is called Mud Island. Um, the only problem is, is when he's in that museum, there's another huge coincidence because a family that he knows from the firm are there, but he doesn't know that they're there. And then that person rings their husband who is at the firm and accidentally lets slip that she's just seen Mitch on Mud Island. So now the firm, and therefore the hitman, know where he is. Now, when I say it like that, it sounds stupid, but in the film it kind of just works. Yeah. It, yeah, like you just kind of accept the, that like everyone's against this character, I guess. It's it's the coincidence of just, you know, like, well, you're watching a story and the reason it's so unbelievable in certain ways is because, you know, it's not like this is a character who just keeps having unbelievable stuff to it. It's almost like watching or listening back to a story where all this ridiculous stuff happened and that's why the story's being told. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, of course, another coincidence happens and another one. <laughs> But then there's a good foot chase, I reckon. I like that foot chase yeah. where, with the cable car and then he's running around and then he finds a basement um, and he tries to get through the window and that's when the acrobatics uh, comes off, right? Because he's yeah. swinging on the pipe trying to kick the window out and he can't do it and he has to hold himself in that like insane plank position in the like off of the ceiling. Um, 
Plus one point for cruiseness. Cruiseness, yes, indeed. Yep. One hitman grabs his briefcase, which the head of security sees through a door and just sees the silhouette and assumes that because he's holding the briefcase with the sensitive documents in it, must be Mitch. Therefore, he shoots him through the door. But it was just the hitman that grabbed the briefcase. Yeah. It's a complicated movie. It's so difficult to sum up those very simple visual ideas in uh in speech and so we should stop doing this podcast really um adam can we just go back for a second because um i'm i'm still not convinced that tom cruise inside a a cable car mm. and a hitman running along the top would be moving at the same speed because if so why would you ever invest that much money creating a cable car system when people could just walk across the top well, at no, the same speed. Well, because yeah, because you don't. He was running. What? You wouldn't go well, like. Well, you can use it's the cable jigsaw. car, or you can sprint, and that'll be the same amount of time. What are you talking about? It's or the same take people twice not as long. <laughs> but there are people on the bridge. The Adam, I lived a... in London for a few years, so yeah. I already walk at a speed of seven to eight miles per hour. Seventy-eight miles an hour. <laughs> Seventy-eight. That's so fast. <laughs> walking down the motorway keeping pace with all the cars <laughs> have you ever been to london adam it's just like <laughs> incredibly stressful wow um after wilford brimley has shot jigsaw for carrying a briefcase <laughs> this is a weird movie um uh tom cruise launches himself from above and kicks the shit out of him um and then he goes directly to see the mafia in their hotel room, who would deeply like to kill him because they now know who he is and what he's doing. But he tells them about the overbilling issue and that with their permission, he can he can use those um, to rectify things. But he can't say anything about anything else they're doing. He is bound by the confidentiality that comes with, you know, having legal representation, I suppose. But he does also make very clear that he has copies of everything else as well and is in full possession of all of their secrets that he can never tell anybody but would possibly be released if anything happens to him. Well, of course, he would also have been released from the confidentiality on account of being dead. Exactly, exactly. Uh, So they let him leave. Very clever. Loved it. That is a, a really good culmination of all of the elements that have been building up to that point and then the fbi confront him because he gave them nothing but mail fraud and he replies that like well if you want the mob get their lawyers because they the activity cannot continue without the legal people hiding it and he's saying like i've given you years and years of mail fraud that's more than you had on capone and it's a very good cruise performance that kind of assured confidence he exudes and will later kind of play on or play with in his career. And then Abby returns uh, and says that she still loves him. And then the credits play over the last 10 seconds of the movie. Really weird. There's um, there's a whole section where like they're summing things up and then you get a shot of um, David Strathairn and, and Holly Hunter who have now hooked up on a boat together. But credits have already started rolling. <laughs> It's really odd, really odd. And they drive back to Chicago, but like basically just before the film fades out. I don't know why they were trying to save 30 seconds on the runtime. Uh, it seems pretty weird. Actually, I do know why they were trying to save 30 seconds on the runtime. And that's because we're at the end of the movie. And my basic thoughts on it, Tom, are that it's way too long. 
Yeah. It's two hours and 35 minutes. Which, I mean, for any film, it's yeah. too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are so few films that can justify being that long. Yeah. This isn't one of them. This is not one of them. I Like, it's very plot-heavy. There isn't much in the way of character exploration or nuance or emotion, even. Um, but it's plotted very well, and it becomes quite dense in the second half, but you can still follow it. And again, I'm going to compare it to A Few Good Men. Like, it's similar in terms of density. But what A Few Good Men had that this doesn't have is an amazing screenplay. The screenplay for A Few Good Men is so good, and the dialogue is amazing. And the screenplay in The Firm is fine at best, clunky in a few places, and never that remarkable. But it is suitably tense. It's twisty and a good thriller, and it's very entertaining. And in its favour, it isn't really, I don't think, striving to be anything more than very entertaining. Like, there's no lessons to be learned. There's no grand assertions or major themes. It doesn't tell me anything about how humans work or it doesn't tell me anything about my life or anything like that. You know, I don't relate to this movie on an emotional level. I just, like, watched it and went, yeah, entertaining movie. Um, Yeah. Three and a half out of five. I would also give it three and a half out of five. Tom. Yeah. Every week. It's every a forgettable week. seven. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a I forgettable seven. It, but I, I don't really remember huge... I just kind of have, you know, general gist of what happened in terms of memory, and it's just kind of like, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. It was an enjoyable watch. Um, no, I, no, feel, no need to watch it again anytime soon. I was dreading watching this. Because I'd seen it twice already. I mean, I've probably seen it more times than that, but um, uh, on Letterboxd, at least, I've logged it twice, and I've only been on Letterboxd since 2018. Um, So I've watched it twice in the last four years, and a a third time I was just thinking, oh, I can't really be bothered to watch The Firm again. But watching it again, I was like, oh, no, I like this movie. This is like a fun movie. Um, But you're right. In in the moment, it feels like a seven out of ten, but it's a forgettable seven out of ten. Yeah. Um. Seven out of ten, incidentally, is also what I gave the cruiseness, because it probably could have been anyone, but he does bring a certain something to the role. I think his performance is actually very good. It's probably the strongest thing about the film. Um, and he does a bit of running and a bit of shouting. So so yeah, good. Well, Adam, I mean, I agree. Like, I don't think he is, he doesn't bring anything that's like unique. You could get another good actor to do the same, you know, fill the role and it would be basically the same film. But he does bring that, that nervousness and that paranoia. It's yeah. quite convincing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he does running. We also kind of get a little bit of the like a first glimpse of action star Tom Cruise. In little bits, like when he's running down like the escalators and like the, that sort of franticness, putting himself up on the pipes, yeah, that sort of thing. Like we get a little glimpse of that sort of Mission Impossible style, you know, action hero that we will see later on. Um, I have also, Adam, given it seven out of ten. Oh, lovely, lovely. Would you recommend the movie? Yeah, yeah, me too. It's, it's like fun. a good, it's like Friday night on the sofa sort of movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you come across it on Netflix and you're like, oh, wait, what's that film? Just give it a watch. Livid that I didn't come across this on Netflix. £3.50 no. I paid to rent this. So did I. Unbelievable. I watched it the same day as uh, Interview with the Vampire, so I spent seven quid on Tom Cruise movies I'd already seen. I was convinced <laughs> that Interview with the Vampire was on uh, one of the streaming services because every time I see it, I'm like, Jenny, we need to watch that. Yeah. Because she hadn't ever seen it. And she'd be like, oh, no, I'm not in the mood. And then finally I'm like, it's part of Cruise Views. It's <laughs> Tom Cruise is a vampire in it. And she's like... Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I'm up for that. Great. £3.50. She didn't know the interview with the vampire was about a vampire. Well, she oh, didn't Tom know Tom Cruise in it. Right, okay. Gotcha. gotcha. She just thought it was a random vampire film that I was trying to make her watch. Uh, the Firm was only um, 50p more to buy, but I genuinely thought, I don't think I'm ever going to watch it again. No. <laughs> I just don't think I'm going to. You don't need that. Uh, do you know what, though? It is the highest grossing John Grisham adaptation. Wow. Oh. What is what was its He's, gross? I mean, what was its budget? What have I got? What have I got here? Oh, here we go. Budget forty-two million dollars. Okay. Box office. Yeah. Two hundred and seventy million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Cruise in the absolute heyday of his, uh, you know, box office returns. There, that's crazy for the early nineties for this yeah. kind of movie as well. And I guess it kickstarted yeah. the John Grisham adaptations. Yeah, I think he's had some like six. Films. Yeah, mad. It was at released at the glass. height of Grisham's popularity, basically. Yeah. And at the time, right, in the top six paperbacks in the US, three were by John Grisham and the other three were by Michael Crichton. Right. They just dominated that top six. Like, and, and in fact, I wonder why in 1993, Michael Crichton. What could that have been? <laughs> well, it was Jurassic Park, innit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jurassic Park had just come out. Hmm. Um, it received good reviews with particular praise for Holly Hunter and Tom Cruise's performance. It got nominated for some Oscars, slightly yeah. preposterously. Best Supporting Actor for Holly Hunter and Best Score. Uh, so the score, right, I understand why yeah. it was nominated for an Oscar, because it's all done on piano. Even if you hear a drum sound, it's the, him, it's the composer hitting the piano. Okay. And it, there's like some stuff that sounds like harps and it's him playing the strings without the keys on the piano and stuff like that. Um, see, I, I like that as a piece of musicianship. Yeah, as, a, te- like, as a technical uh, exercise. Yeah, yeah, if he was making an album and he was like, everything on it's like with uh, Rage Against the Machine, where it was like, every sound you hear is actually the guitar. They don't use right. you know keyboards or anything like that. It's John Morello doing something on the guitar. Like, I like the idea of a pianist being like, oh yeah, if you hear drums, I'm hitting the piano. Yeah, you know, hear something twinkly. It's actually the piano. No, it's not harp. It's piano. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's a better score. Ah, in the movie, it's pretty annoying. <laughs> like, well, I mean, it didn't win best score, and and Holly Hunter didn't win um, best supporting. Uh, well, well, who did win either. best? I don't know. Best score. It know. might have been uh, Mr. John Williams. Oh, for Schindler's List. Yeah. How insane is it that Jurassic Park and Schindler's List come out the same year? They're both Steven yeah. Spielberg movies. That's crazy because in any other year if Schindler's List had come out in 1994 Jurassic Park wins all the Oscars the only reason Jurassic Park didn't win all of the Oscars is because Schindler's List fucking won them all so Steven Spielberg what an insane year imagine being Spielberg that year filming those films being like oh so I finished the dinosaur one now I'm with oh yeah so he was filming like outside the gates of uh, the Auschwitz concentration camp and then in the evening was having post-production meetings on the fun dinosaur movie it's a crazy way to work yeah um 
I mean, there you go. That's the firm. I feel like we've done the firm. Uh, but yeah. before we wrap up, it's obviously time for our long-running game. Only one of us is allowed to have looked up the IMDb trivia page for each movie. And this week, it's me. I'm going to present Tom with three pieces of trivia. But one of them is going to be one that I've made up. Tom, you'll have to discern which one that is in Two Crews and a Lie. Okay, so at the moment, I owe you 40 quid. Right. Okay. I reckon we continue with double or nothing. Okay, so okay. if you can co- correctly identify which of these pieces of trivia I've made up, and I've made it very difficult this week, Dom. Okay, I'm sure you have. I will owe you £80, okay? Right. If you can't okay. get it, the slate is wiped clean, okay? Okay. All right. Piece of trivia number one. Holly Hunter is on screen for a total of 5 minutes and 59 seconds, one of the shortest performances ever nominated for an Oscar. Okay. 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 Trivia piece number two. Gene Hackman's contract called for his name to come before the title in all promotional materials. Tom Cruise's contract called for his name and his name only to come before the title in all promotional materials. Hackman then decided to leave his name off of all promotional materials, making his presence a surprise to most audiences. Hmm. Hmm. Trivia piece number three. (laughs) Believing this to be a remake of the 1988 film The Firm about football hooliganism, Tom Cruise arrived to the first day on set dressed in full football kit and speaking in a British accent, which he had spent months perfecting. When he learned the truth, he called everyone on set a right old wanker and stormed off, delaying production by 48 hours whilst he came to terms with the changes. Now, which one do you think is due? Now, remember, remember what I said earlier? A bit like yeah. the firm, I did just pop something in earlier that I knew was going to come back. The, the production course, was yeah. delayed by a couple of days, mm, so is so that I mean, well, you know, it could be that one. Then, could be it? that yeah. one. Could be that one. Ooh. What do you reckon, Tom? I can't afford eighty quid. Well, so. I, I did mention earlier that Holly Hunter is only on screen for about She's five minutes—a very short amount of time. Yeah. yeah. Although I'd say that five minutes and fifty-nine seconds is about six minutes, not about five minutes. That's good. you're right, Adam. So, <laughs> but. Six minutes is about five minutes when compared to all the time in the universe. <laughs> it is about... Well, I mean, when, when compared to all the time of, in the universe, it's about nothing, really, yeah. isn't it? Six minutes. Exactly. Six so Holly Hunter wasn't in the film. Exactly. And you, no one can prove that she was. Anyway, no. look, what, what? Which one are you going for? Adam, I'm going to have to go with number three. <laughs> oh, Tom. Tom, that's correct. That's oh. unbelievable. You're so good at this game. So good. Oh, God. Right, well, I'll get you back next week. I'll get you back next week yeah. when we play another round of Two Crews and a Lie. Adam, I, I've just a found... a lot of money, yeah? I've just found another note in my final thoughts, which is oh, yeah. uh, so much piano in this movie. That's true. There, there we go. So much so piano. So I did make a note it's on the music. It's all piano. <laughs> So much piano in this 
Oh, I think that's the end of the episode. Uh, thanks, Tom, for joining me. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Come and let us know what you think of the movie The Firm by finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Cruise Views Pod. Um, we're on Facebook as well, Cruise Views Pod. Email us in your longer thoughts if you'd like to, cruiseviewspodcast at gmail.com. Come and find us on Letterboxd, Tom Ashwood, Adam Glasspool. We're there. But until then, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to watch Interview with the Vampire before next week's episode. This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. (laughs) 